So, all right, if you have a Bible, and I hope you or somebody around you does, you can look on with uh, Matthew 28 is we're going to start, and then we're going to uh, go to Revelation chapter 7 right after that, and then later on, we're going to be in Romans 15. So, I'm going to have some of this on the screen if you don't have a Bible, but just to, if you want to follow along with the words right in front of you, Matthew 28, Revelation 7, and Romans 15. But uh, before we, we dive into the Word, I want to I set the stage with a, a story. So I, I love the title of the talk that was given to me for this last session. And that title was, What Will the Impact Be? And as I've prayed for you at the conclusion of these few days that you've been here, and I think about the potential of what flows from just the lives in this room who've been together these few days, in the days and months and years ahead. What comes to my mind is Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. God is able to do immeasurably more than all you can ask or imagine according to the power of his spirit at work in you. And when I say you, like, I just, I wish I could look in the face of every single person in every single seat. God is able to do immeasurably more than all you could ask or imagine according to his power at work within you. Like what could the impact be from your life and from your lives together as you go back to campuses and from our lives together as we go into the world? But I know, I know there is an adversary who does not want that impact to happen. So let me give you a, a picture uh, in your mind. When I was in uh, high school, like my dream growing up as a kid was to be a professional baseball player. Only problem with that dream is I wasn't very good at baseball. And... Uh, I was on the high school baseball team, which may cause you to think I was, I mean, you were good enough to be on the team. Well, our team was really bad, which is why I was able to be on the team. And so, remember my senior year, uh, we all season long couldn't win a game. Like, we were so bad. And we got near the end of the season, and we were playing another really bad team. So, there's two bad teams playing baseball, and one of them's going to win. So, uh, it was a close game, <laughs> the whole, whole game. Got down to the last inning, and the score was tied. At the top of the inning, they were up to bat. They didn't score. And so we're running off the field, bottom of the last inning. And our coach meets us out in front of the dugout to give us like a pep talk. It never worked, but he, he met us out there, and he looked at us. I remember he said, guys, we've actually got a chance to win a game. And he said, we need to do it right here. Because if we go into extra innings, what's going to happen? And we're all like, we'll lose. He's like, that's right, guys, we'll lose. <laughs> like, this is our chance. We've got to do it right here. So he pointed his finger in my face. He said, David, you're up first. We need you to get to first base. Once you get to first, we're going to steal you over to second. And then once you get to second, all we need is one hit. You run round third, come home, we'll win the game. 
I'm thinking, yeah, right. Like, we'll win the game. Doesn't happen, coach. And it's dependent on me getting to first base. Also, does not happen. Uh, but all the guys were like, come on, David. Like, just get to first base. So I go in to the dugout. I grab my helmet, my bat, and I'm walking out, and I'm just praying. Like, God, I know you love everybody on this field. But would you just grant me an extra measure of grace in this moment? Like, would you use this for their sanctification? Like, I, God, I just... I said, I'm going to get to first base, please. So I step into the batter's box, and by the grace of Almighty God, I draw a walk. So <laughs> uh, give it up for the guy who, who can't swing. <laughs> like apparently, it was too much for me to be able to get a hit, so I just I draw a walk. So, uh, so I'm going, I go down to first base. I get to first base. I look over the third base coach, and he's giving me the steal sign. I'm thinking, I like the walking thing better. Now i got to run. And so I take my lead off first base, pitcher winds and throws. I turn and I start running as hard as I can towards second base. I get about five feet away and I start this beautiful head first slide and the guy catches it, tags me. What do you think, safe or out? Who down here like just yelled out immediately? <laughs> like, like without hesitation, no question, you're out. I got wheels, all right? I was safe. So anyway, thank you for a few others. So, uh, besides, the story would be horrible if it ended at that point. So, and so move on. So no. All right, so I'm at second base. Um, the next guy up to bat strikes out. It's a big loser, didn't walk like I did. So, so now there's one out. And if you know anything about baseball, you know, if it's going to happen, like it needs to happen right here. Because if they're able to get another out, uh, then they don't have to worry about me as a runner. They can relax more. So, so this is the moment when it needs to happen. So I take my lead off second base. Pitcher winds, throws. The guy hits the ball in between the third baseman and the shortstop. And I watch the ball go in front of me into left field. And I start running toward third base. As I'm running toward third base, I look up and I see the third base coach. Anybody know what he's doing? He's doing this all the way down the line, like faster than I ever could. I'm like, you do this, coach. So he's giving me the go sign. And so I touch third base and I look up. And 90 feet in front of me is a dude who's much bigger than I am. And he's got all this equipment on. He's got his mask off. And he is standing right over the plate, like waiting for me. And I decided, this is my moment. And so I just start running as hard as I can, just moving like, like the guys are out of the dugout, jumping up and down. All the fans are going nuts. There's only like two people there. <laughs> I'm telling you, we were bad. Not even our parents would come to watch us play. We were so bad. But anyway, the couple people who were there were going crazy. I'm running as hard as I can. I, I get a few feet away. I start this head first slide again. And it was, it was like a movie. Like my hands brush past the plate as the catcher catches the ball, puts it down on my shoulder. We look up in the umpire at the dust and he yells. I'm not going to ask you what you think. Uh, he yells, Safe, safe. The guys went nuts. They come running. Yes, they came running out of the dugout. They jumped on top of me. You'd think we'd won the World Series. We'd won a game. But it was one of the most, it's actually the only glorious moment of my entire sports career. <laughs> it's like pure joy reliving it with you. Uh, so, so anyway, here's the, here's, here's the question I want to ask though. Like, what would you think of me? As a baseball player, if when I was rounding third base, I were to think, oh, you know, I'm kind of hungry right now. And I just run over to the concession stand and get a hot dog instead of running home. Or, or what would you think of me as a baseball player if when I was rounding third base, I were to look up and see over in the stands for 
some unknown reason, uh, an attractive girl has come to watch us play. And I think, ah, she looks better than he does. And so I just go running over to start a conversation with her about my amazing walk or whatever. So, or what would you think of me as a baseball player if when I was running third base, I would look up and see the coach like passionately going down the line. And I were just to think, you know, I've not spent a lot of time with coach recently. I just sort of run up to him, put my arm around his shoulder, like, calm down, bro. Like, how are you? How's the wife and kids? Like, what would you think of me? You'd think, well, of course you can't win a game. Why? Because when it comes down to the end and what mattered most, you got distracted. So that's the picture I want to put in your mind. Because there is an adversary who, as soon as you scatter from this place, wants to distract, to discourage, to divert you from God doing immeasurably more than all you can ask or imagine in and through your life. And I want to plead with you over the next few minutes, don't, don't miss the point. And not even don't miss the point of, of whatever God has been doing in this conference, but I want to even take it a little broader in this last session and bring all the themes that have been walked through over the last couple of days and say, don't miss the point of your life, of your life. And I say it that way, which sounds kind of uh, big, maybe even to some a little overdramatic, but I distinctly remember where I was sitting at a conference just like this when I was at the University of Georgia, and I was sitting there and hearing God's Word, and in that moment, God moved in a trajectory-shaping way in my life when I saw the truths we're about to look at. Not in this exact way, but I'll never forget where I, and I, my jaw was just on the ground with my Bible open, and I remember thinking, this changes everything about the way I live, and it has shaped my life for the last 20 years since then. So I've, I've prayed for that kind of moment at the conclusion of this this conference. And so I, I, let, me, let me pray right now. God, we, with humble, holy anticipation, not of what I'm about to say, I, I can't make that kind of trajectory shaping moment happen. Only you by your spirit can do that. And we just, we pray together based on all you've done in our midst over the last couple of days that you would speak in this moment and you would set sights all across this room on the race that you're calling them to run, us to run. And God, I pray that you would speak now in such a way that there would be ripple effects among the nations for days, months, years to come because of what you do in the next few minutes at the close of what you've been doing the last couple of days. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. Only God's Word can do that. So what could the impact be? Let's start in Matthew chapter 28. So talking about disciple-making, multiplication, last night. So... Let's start where, where Jesus says to his disciples, before he ascends into heaven, he has risen, from, died on a cross, 
for sin, risen from the grave. He's about to ascend into heaven, and Jesus came and said to them, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So you've spent time talking about being a disciple, making disciples, based on the gospel, good news of Jesus, who he is, what he has done, conquering death and sin and the grave, making eternal life possible to anyone and everyone who repents and believes in him. So go therefore and make disciples, lead people to follow him among all the nations. Now that word nations is not talking about like geopolitical entities like we might think of nations today. Like 200 or so United Nations, United States of America, India, Pakistan, and so on. No, nations here, the word in the original language of the New Testament is ethne, it's from which we get ethnic, so ethnic groups. So think not just countries, but think the Berber people of Morocco. Think the Pashtun people of Afghanistan. Think different people groups, the Fulani of Nigeria. And there's thousands of people groups in the world, ethnic groups, groups that share common languages and cultural characteristics. And Jesus just said, make disciples among all of those ethnic groups. Go into every people group in the world and proclaim my love, the gospel, the good news of my great love in Jesus. Make disciples of all the nations. So that's what Jesus says here in this first book in the New Testament, the end of it. Now jump ahead to Revelation chapter 7, the last book in the New Testament, where all of history is headed. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from where? Every what? Nation from all tribes and peoples, people groups and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, that's a reference to Jesus, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So you see it? Like what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, disciples made among all the nations will be a reality according to Revelation chapter 7. One day all of history is headed toward the day when people, a great multitude that no one could number from all the nations, all the tribes, all the peoples, all the languages, will gather around the throne of God and give him praise for his salvation. In other words, disciples made among all the nations. So, based on those two passages of Scripture, and we could go so many other places, and I'll, I'll mention some others. Here's what I want to do. I want to show you, and we're going to fly through this, but I want to show you, so, and if you're taking notes, which I hope you've been doing every session, there's so much here to walk through, but four truths, three problems, two conclusions, one picture. That's what I want to, I want to show you over the next few minutes. And we're going we're gonna to go, you count them up, that's what, 10 points? You're like, man, 
going to be a while. Like, just, just go with me. But there's going to be a lot. That's why I've got it up on the screen here. I want you to be able to write these things down. Because if you get these truths, if you see these problems, you will come to these conclusions. And you will want your life to be a part of this picture. So, let's dive in. Four truths. One, the ultimate purpose of God is His glory enjoyed and exalted among all the nations. So think about that statement, the ultimate purpose of God. We're talking about God's purpose. What is, what is God about? What is God for? What is God, our creator, doing in the world? He is bringing all the nations to enjoy and to exalt His glory. And glory, think all of his attributes, his love, his mercy, his justice, his holiness. God desires all nations to enjoy him and exalt him. We could, this is where we could pause. We could spend hours just going from cover to cover in the Bible, seeing this purpose in God, how God has created men and women, you and me, in his image from the very beginning to be his image bearers in the world. And all throughout the Old Testament from Genesis chapter 12 on, God has been in the business of blessing his people for the spread of his goodness to all the peoples of the earth. That's Genesis 12, 1 through 3, Genesis 26, 4, Genesis 28, 14. And it, it's a theme that continues throughout the Bible. Maybe most clearly depicted in the Psalms, at the center of the Bible. Like Psalm 67, let the nations be glad in God. Let them praise you. May all the peoples praise you. Gladness in worshiping God. Even the Psalms themselves, like what an interesting book. And think about it. These 150 songs, poems written to experience enjoyment and exalting God. Like, think about how, in a sense, odd that is. And my wife and I just celebrated our, our anniversary. Let me, let me tell you what I didn't get my wife as an anniversary gift. I didn't say, babe, I have written out 150 poems about how great I am in all my attributes. And I want to give them to you as a gift. And if you just like maybe read them to me, put some of them to music, uh, it will bring such joy to your heart. I did not give my wife that. There's no chance. But this is what God has given us. Why? Because our deepest enjoyment is indeed found in Him receiving greatest glory in our lives. I, oh, if this truth alone would sink deep into your heart. I mean, what we just read in Revelation chapter 7, God's designed history to end in Him being glorified for His grace, Him being enjoyed and exalted among all the nations. And that might, that might rub some in this room wrong. Like, wait a minute, God? God's purpose is to exalt Himself? Like, are you, are you saying God is self-centered in that way? And I want to be clear. That's, that's not at all what I'm saying. 
That's what God is saying. He's designed history to center around him being exalted, exalted among all the nations. If that rubs you wrong, that God's purpose is to exalt himself, I've just asked the follow-up question, who else would you rather him exalt? You? This, that, person, thing? No, and at whatever point God were to exalt someone or something else, he'd no longer be the God who's worthy of all exaltation. And he is. That's what it means to be God. There's no one else worthy of worship than God. And the beauty is, how has God chosen to exalt himself? He's chosen to exalt himself by sending his son as a sacrifice for sinners, that we might be forgiven of all our sin against him by his mercy, brought into relationship with him to enjoy our creator for all of eternity. This is the purpose of God, his glory enjoyed and exalted among all the nations among every people group on the planet. Not just certain types of people that look a certain way, talk a certain way, act, but among all the peoples of the world to know, enjoy, and exalt his glory. So if that is the ultimate purpose of God, so this was the, this is the moment when I'm sitting in a seat much like you're sitting in, and I'm seeing this in the Word really for the first time, and I just realize if that's true of God, and I'm created by him, then, well then this should be my purpose. Truth number two, the ultimate purpose of every Christian is to enjoy and exalt God's glory among all the nations. This is the purpose of our lives. If this is the purpose of God and he's created us, this is the purpose toward which history is headed, well then why would we live for any other purpose? Our purpose is to enjoy God's glory. Like, sign me up in a world that says this or that will satisfy you, that the one who can truly satisfy you has invited you into relationship with him to enjoy him forever. There is no one, nothing like God. Like, I just think that this morning, I, I got to wake up and meet with God. Like the God who spoke and this world came into being. Like this morning, I, I was talking to him. He was listening to me. He was speaking to me in so many ways. I was like pouring out my heart to him, things that are heavy on my heart to him, and he's listening and speaking in response to his word. Like, communion with God and not just me like you you have this available to you in Jesus anytime this is life this is life it's you're not living if you're not experiencing life in the one who gave you life you're not enjoying your creator you're missing the point of your life as a creature as a created one so to enjoy him and to exalt him among all the nations. He's not just created you to enjoy him. He's created all the peoples of the earth to enjoy him. And he's given you grace and mercy in your life to exalt his glory among all the nations. Now this is where things go to kind of to a whole other level. So I remember, remember seeing, starting to see this in the word. Then I went to graduate school and I was like, okay, well if... 
if this is the purpose of God, this is the purpose of my life to exalt God's glory among all nations, then I started thinking, well, that means, and I, what we're about to talk about in just a minute, there's a lot of people who don't know about Jesus, don't know about the gospel, don't know about God's love for them in the gospel. And so I started thinking, well, that, that's, a, that's a no-brainer then. I need to be a missionary. Like, I need to move to another place in the world for the spread of the gospel. So that's, that's where, where my mind was in graduate school. And I remember one day, uh, a guy who leads a big missions organization was coming to my campus, uh, and he was going to speak to a group of people, and I was invited to take him to breakfast. And so I told my wife the night before I was married at this point, I just said, hey, babe, I'm taking this guy to breakfast in the morning. Uh, we obviously have been talking about this. I think I'm going to tell him we're ready to move overseas. Uh, is that okay with you? And she's like, yeah, it's okay with me. So we pray the next morning. I go off to breakfast. I just start, we sit down. I start pouring out my heart to him. Just, I see this in the word. I see need in the world. Like my, my wife and I are ready to go overseas as missionaries. So what do we need to do? And he looks back at me and for about 60 seconds, he just said, well, that's good. It kind of encouraged me in what I just said. Then he spent the rest of breakfast talking to me about the need for pastors to shepherd churches where the good news of God's love, the gospel has gone, for the spread of the gospel where it hasn't gone. And I was so confused. Like I, I, walk, I went home that day and my wife was like, how'd it go? I said, I think the leader of this missions organization just talked me out of becoming a missionary. And she looked back at me with like a disappointed look on her face, like I'd like blown the interview or something. And I was like, I, I don't think I said anything wrong. Like, I'm so thankful for that conversation that day. Because what happened is a category came into my mind that wasn't there before. And looking back now, I don't know why it wasn't there. It makes total sense, but it wasn't there. So here was the category. There is a type of person who is zealous, like passionate about the spread of the gospel and God's glory among all the nations, but who doesn't become a missionary. And the more I thought about it, I was like, well, yeah, of course there's a category for that kind of person. It's called a Christian. Right? Because the Spirit of Christ wants the world, the nations for Christ. So do you have the Spirit of Christ in you? If you do, then you are passionate about all the nations hearing the good news of God's love in Jesus. You are zealous for that. Why? Because that's what the Spirit in you is zealous for. But we've, we've totally missed this. We've taken like a, even a talk like this, we're talking about the nations, and we've turned that into like a compartmentalized program in the church over here for a select few people who are like called to that or passionate about that, while the rest of us just kind of going on living our lives. We've missed, we've taken the purpose for which we have breathed and turn it into an optional program in the church for a few people. Like, that this truth might rest into your heart today and your mind, that the purpose of your life is to enjoy God in all of his glory and to exalt God in all of his glory among all the nations. 
This is the purpose of, this is why you have breath. This is why you have been saved by God's grace to make his glory known among all the nations as you enjoy his glory every step of the way. This is the purpose. So this is not about finding our individual purpose. We'll talk about how this plays out in thousands of different ways in our lives. But this is the overarching purpose for which God has made you and me to enjoy and exalt his glory among all the nations. Now that then leads to truth number three. God's plan for the accomplishment of this purpose is the Great Commission. So how will this happen? How will the glory of God spread to all the nations? And that's what we read. You were talking about last night in multiplication. Like, this is... This is how the glory of God will spread among all the nations, by disciples making disciples, which makes sense, right? Now you think about that multiplication picture, and was it uh, KD, uh, the sorority? Like, as people come to Jesus, even this week, I trust over the last couple of days, like some of you have turned from your sin, like truly yourself, and put your trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord of your life. And God is glorified as you're brought into relationship with him to enjoy him. Like, it's happening as disciples are being made. And as more and more disciples are made, the glory of God spreads. More and more people enjoying and exalting God's glory. And Jesus has said, do that where? In all the nations. In all the nations. So, so what happens is, quick tour of what happens in the New Testament. So the book of Acts, we could walk through. You, you see the gospel starting in Jerusalem and then spreading to Judea and Samaria. And then you get to Acts chapter 13 and you see a story of in a worship gathering, not unlike this, the church at Antioch is worshiping and they're praying and the Holy Spirit speaks and says, set apart for me Saul and Barnabas for the work to which I've called them. And what happens is they go out, so these kind of pink arrows are them going out from that place and taking the gospel to new places where it hadn't gone yet. So they go down here to, to Cyprus and when they get there, they proclaim the good news of God's love in Jesus and People become disciples, followers of Jesus, and a church is planted. Then they keep moving on. They go up north into Pisidian Antioch and into Iconium, Lystra, Derby, And in all these different places, they're leading people to become followers of Jesus, gathering together in churches. And what's happening? The glory of God is spreading to new places and new people. Because that's the plan. God's plan for the accomplishment of this purpose is the Great Commission. So it's happening here. And then these kind of purple arrows are them traveling back to Antioch, that actually sets the stage. Well, we'll get to that in a second. But this is, this is the picture of how this purpose plays out. As the more and more disciples are made on your campus, the more and more God is receiving glory on your campus. So the plan for the spread of God's glory among the nations is his people making disciples who make disciples. Again, that's not like a special calling for a few people. That, that's, that's what we've all been saved to do, commanded to do. We read it, Matthew chapter 28. Now here's the key. Don't miss truth number four. Because if we're not careful, we'll stop there and it'll be like me in that baseball game stopping at third base. 
and missing the whole point of where this was headed. Truth number four. The Great Commission is not a general command to make disciples among as many people as possible. The Great Commission is a specific command to make disciples among all the nations. That's so important. When Jesus gave us this command in Matthew 28, you look at it, it doesn't just say, go and make disciples among a lot of people. It doesn't even say, go and make disciples among as many people as possible. It says, go and make disciples among pontata ethne, among all the nations, among all the people groups, the ethnic groups. Make disciples among all of them. So the impulse of the Holy Spirit and followers of Jesus is to keep working to get the gospel to more and more people in more and more places, which is why. So I showed you that story from Acts 13. This is basically a summary of Acts 13 and 14. Well, then they come back to Antioch here. That sets the stage for what happens in Acts chapter. So they stay in Antioch in Acts 14, 15. There's a council at Jerusalem. And then in chapter 16, Paul leaves Antioch And he goes north. This time he's not with Barnabas. He's with uh, Silas. And they pick up Timothy along the way. And you'll notice they start going to the same places they've been before where disciples have been made and churches have started. And then around Acts 16, 6 through 10, uh, they they get around this region and the Spirit stops Paul from going one direction and stops him from going another direction. And then he has a vision of a man from Macedonia up here in the northwestern part of this map saying, come over here and help us. And what happens is they conclude, we need to go and take the gospel to new places, to more people in new places. So they go up north into the northwest here to places you might recognize if you Read through the New Testament, Philippi, Thessalonica, down into Athens, Corinth, to Ephesus. And in all these places, they're doing the same thing. They're making disciples. They're leading people to Jesus, gathering together in churches. And the glory of God is spreading to more and more people in more and more places. Why? Because that's the command Jesus gave. He didn't say, just make disciples as many as possible in Antioch. He said, keep moving on to new people and new places where the gospel hasn't gone. So then they travel down to Jerusalem and they come back to Antioch. That then sets the stage for a third journey where Paul again leaves Antioch and he goes. Now you'll notice on this map, does he go to any new places? He doesn't go anywhere new. This is all places where the gospel has already gone, disciples have been made. And he gets to Corinth and he sits down and he writes a letter that becomes a book of the Bible, a letter to the church at Rome, the book of Romans. So why does he write Romans right here in the middle of this journey? Well, listen to Romans chapter 15, verse 18. I'll put it up here on the screen or you can follow along. Romans 15, 18. He says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles, that's a reference to the nations, to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, he's describing all the places he's been, I have fulfilled the ministry, I've done this ministry of proclaiming the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition, now follow this, to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, 
lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who've never been told of him will see, those who've never heard will understand. This is the reason why I've so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. Just soak in what, what he just said. He's basically talking about all the work he's done from Jerusalem all the way down around to Illyricum. So he's describing the work he's done in this whole place. He says, I've done this work of proclaiming the gospel, but my ambition is to preach this gospel, not where Christ has already been named, but as it's written, as God has decreed in his word, those who've never been told of him will see. Those who have never heard of the gospel will understand. So he says, but now, and this is the, in a sense, absurd statement that Paul makes here. When I, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, are you serious? I no, no more need for work there. But Paul's in Corinth. Just read First and Second Corinthians. That place is messed up. The church is messed up. The city's messed up. So how can Paul say, no longer have any room for work here? Well, he's not saying that everybody there is a Christian and everything's perfect there. What he's saying is there's still more people who have never heard of Jesus. They've never seen Jesus. And they need to hear because the Great Commission is a specific command to make disciples among all the nations. Not just as many people as possible here, but to keep moving on where the gospel hasn't gone. I'll show you one more map. This is Jerusalem over here. Here's Antioch and here's Corinth. So Paul has just traveled over here to Corinth. He's on his way to Jerusalem. But why does he write a letter to the church at Rome? Because he wants to take the gospel where it hasn't gone. And where is it not gone? Spain. You heard him say it, right? So I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. Why? Because they haven't heard the gospel over here. So he's writing a letter to the church at Rome saying, will you help me get the gospel to Spain? Why? Because the Great Commission is a specific command to make disciples among all the nations. And for the church to be obedient to Jesus' command is not to stay just focus on places where the gospel has gone. The church must keep pressing on to places where the gospel hasn't gone. All right, so those are the four truths. Now, in light of those four truths, three problems. One, over three billion people in the world today are currently unreached by the gospel and on a road that leads to eternal suffering. So let me, uh, let me define two terms here, and then I want us to think about what, what this means. Over 3 billion people, 3.2 billion people, are currently unreached by the gospel. Now, what does that word mean? That, that word means that they have little to no access to the gospel. So let's be clear. It, that doesn't mean that they, just that they don't believe in Jesus. That's true among all kinds of people in the world. That's true among people on your campus. That's true among people all over the United States and people all over the world. There are many people who don't believe in Jesus. The difference is people on your campus in the United States have access to the gospel. 
in a way that people in many parts of the world, these three billion, don't have access to the gospel. This is why we, we don't say, I don't know why we talk about unreached people around the world. I mean, there's unreached people in, in my campus. There's unreached people in my dorm. There's unreached people in my apartment complex. Those people, though, are not unreached. You say, well, how do you know? Because they're on your campus. They're in your dorm. They're in your apartment complex. They have access to the gospel. Like, you're it. They have Christians around them. They have churches that are proclaiming the gospel. We're talking about people. So practically, what it means for someone to be unreached, if you're unreached in the world, what that means is you're living in a place where the likelihood is you'll be born, you will live, and you will die without ever even hearing the gospel. Like never even hearing. That's what Paul's talking about in Romans 15. Those who've never heard. I'm talking about people, I've, I've met them in the world. You go up to them and you say, what do you know about Jesus? And they say, who's that? They've never heard his name. Or they've never had, they've heard about Jesus, but they've heard all kinds of lies about Jesus. They've never heard someone tell them the truth about who Jesus is and how much Jesus loves them to make a way for them to be forgiven of their sins and restored to relationship with God. Nobody's ever told them that. Which, which leads to the second thing, just to make clear in all this. like Three billion people unreached by the gospel. They're born, they live, they die, and the likelihood is they never hear the good news of God's love in Jesus. Never hear the gospel. And they're on a road that leads to eternal suffering. Now that, that takes things to a whole other level and we could spend a ton of time here that we don't have time for today, but, but the Bible is crystal clear. If, it, if even comes in your mind, like what happens to people who never hear about Jesus? Like, feel free to Google that and my name and you'll find tons out there on that. Like, because I think this is one of the most important questions in the church today because I think most people think, well, if they never have a chance to hear, well, then surely God will let them into heaven. But just think about that for a minute. One, how, how do they... How do sinners come into heaven apart from Jesus? You've basically just said Jesus is not necessary for salvation. Now, there's other ways. Or maybe, maybe because they haven't heard, then God lets them in heaven precisely because they haven't heard. But if that were true, then what's the worst thing we could do for them? In their eternity. Like, go tell them the gospel, right? Like until we got there, 100% of them going to heaven because they'd never heard. Either they've heard about Jesus, there's a chance they'd go to hell. You don't just keep that to yourself. Right? We're talking about three billion people. Just like you and me, who right now are on a road that leads to eternal suffering. Never, ever, ever ending suffering. Judgment do sin. Just judgment do sin. I, and I know, I know at this point there's some who are just like, how can God be just in that? It is just like us in our sinfulness to disobey the command of God to make his love known while questioning his character in the process. We're talking about three billion people right now in the world 
just like you and just like me. We're on a road that leads to eternal, eternal suffering. And we'll go there unless somebody tells them the good news of eternal life. That feels like a, a, a problem, a big problem. And I'm gonna put a map up here on the screen of where these people are. This is a map that Radical developed. You can, you can play around with this map at stratus.earth. But, but basically, here we are in the green part of this map, and the more green it is on this map, the more access to the gospel there is. So here we are, and most of us live in this part of the world right here where there is abundant gospel access by God's grace. We praise God for that. But then the more yellow you get on this map, the less access to the gospel there is. And then the deeper orange and red and the deepest red is where there's the least access to the gospel. So the, most of the three billion people live right in there. Three billion people in primarily these places in the world currently unreached by the gospel and on a road that leads to eternal suffering. That's it's a huge problem. Leads to a second problem. The church is practically ignoring those people and those places. The church, the church that we are a part of here in the green and in other parts of the green around the world is practically ignoring people and places most unreached by the gospel. You say, what do you mean? I mean, how can you make that kind of statement? Like we've done the research. Let me just give you a picture of how this is playing out. Like we spend all kinds of resources, money on all kinds of things in the world, and then we give some of that to church or ministries. And then you look at the money we give to churches, for example, we spend all kinds of that on all kinds of programs and events and activities and buildings and staff and that sort of stuff. And then we spend a tiny percentage of that on missions, what we call like spreading the gospel in other places in the world. You know what's interesting? We've done the research. Out of money that Christians spend on missions, you know what percentage goes to these red and orange areas? approximately 1%. In other words, when we give to missions in the church today, we're giving all across Latin America, places in Sub-Saharan Africa, sometimes in Europe. And I'm not saying there's not good work to be done in some of these places. But I'm... At some point, we've got to open our eyes to the fact that the church we're a part of, I'm talking about Big C Church, like the body of Christians we're a part of, we're giving 99% of our resources, even to missions, in places where the gospel has already gone. And we're practically ignoring the places that most need it. The same is true of missionaries. Approximately 97% of missionaries go to these places, and about 3% go to these places. I'm just praying that even in this moment, God might open your eyes, the eyes of a generation to see that something major needs to change here. There's three billion people who've never heard the good news of God's love in Jesus, and we are practically ignoring 
All of them. And that leads to problem number three. The number of unreached people is higher now than ever before and will continue to increase until we decide to live differently. Just, it makes sense, right? You think about that map, the population in all those orange and red places is growing. And if the population is growing, then that means more and more people are being born, living and dying without ever hearing the gospel. And that's not gonna change until the church decides to do something about that. Put all this together, do you realize this? We live in a time in the world where there are more people unreached by the gospel than ever before. And it's continually increasing. Like who is going to be a part of changing that? With a command from Jesus to make disciples of all the nations, not just a command to make disciples among, on your campus or in your city, Yes there, yes there, but don't stop there. You're stopping at third base, you're missing the whole point. He wants this good news to go to all the peoples of the earth, which that leads to two conclusions. Number one, if we are not living and dying to make disciples of all the nations, then we are ignoring the purpose of God and missing the purpose of our lives. If we are not, if you are not, if I am not living and dying to make disciples, not just generally, of all the nations, then we are ignoring the purpose of God and missing the purpose of our lives. We're totally missing it. We're missing the point. If we're not living and dying to make disciples of all the nations, And this is where I just want to plead with you, based on God's word. And you test all this, like, is all this true in God's word? Is this the purpose of God? Is this the purpose of my life? Is this the plan? As Jesus really said, make disciples of all the nations. Is that really where all history is headed? If that's true, then I, I've got to live for this. It's where I want to plead with you to refuse to settle for a nice, comfortable, cultural Christianity that says a prayer reads the Bible some, goes to church, and coasts this, things out, this thing out to heaven while you live a nice, comfortable Christian spin on the American dream. Don't waste your life. You will miss the purpose of your life doing that. Millions of Christians in our country are wasting their lives like that, and I wanna urge you, don't do it. Don't stick your head in the sand and turn a blind eye and a deaf ear to billions of people who haven't heard the gospel when the purpose of your life on this planet is to make his grace and his glory known among all of them. Don't settle for that kind of life. It's not Christianity. It's what we've sold as Christianity, and it's not true. Biblical Christianity says, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever, however you lead my life for the spread of your glory, right where I live and wherever you lead among the nations. I want to live. I want to pray. I want to give. I want to go. I want to do whatever you want me to do so that your grace and your glory are known and enjoyed among all the peoples of the earth. That's the purpose of our lives. We'll miss it if we don't live and die for this. And that leads to the second conclusion, by God's grace, you. This is where I just want to say this like as personally as I can. You have a unique and significant part to play in seeing all the nations enjoy and exalt God. Like you, right where you are sitting, 
This is the beauty. This is what I love, just looking out around this stadium full of people. Like, you have so many different gifts and skills and getting different degrees and the different opportunities that lie before you to make the glory of God known among the nations. And then we could spend a ton of time talking about what this looks like in our lives, but I just encourage you, I wanna encourage you, like press in. Yes, let this start right where you live and, and realize, especially on campuses represented all across this room, God has brought the nations here. God's brought so many people from red and orange countries to your camp, they live right next to you. Like don't just reach out to people who look like you and talk like you and think like you. Like reach out to the nations that God's brought right around you. And do that right now. Live for this spread of God's glory among the nations on your campus. And then look for opportunities to be a part of what God's doing in orange and red places. I, I would exhort you, this is what we tell all the college students in our church, like, unless God tells you otherwise, spend at least a summer, if not a semester or a year or two, somewhere else in the world where the gospel has not gone before you graduate or right after you graduate, before you move on. Like, I got a video the other day. Somebody sent me from... Uh, a girl who was graduating high school, and she's Mormon. And so she believes a, a false gospel that doesn't save, that condemns. And on this video, I see it, somebody's filming it with an iPhone. She's got a piece of paper in her hand, and she's reading where she's going to go. If you know kind of how things work in the, among Mormons, like before they even go to college, they're going to spend a year, most every high school graduate is going to spend a year somewhere else in the world spreading this false gospel. She's reading this letter that she's received from Mormon leaders telling her where she's going to go. She's like shaking with excitement. She gets to the point where it says where she's going. She reads it with this huge smile on her face. She starts jumping up and down and the, the camera pans out and there's a whole host of all of her friends and family, like this community around her. They're all going nuts, cheering. They all gather around her. And I'm sitting there thinking, why in the world has a cult with a false gospel built that kind of expectation? And we, with the true gospel of Jesus Christ that saves, are sitting back and a few people are going here and there. And what are we doing? I was talking with this Muslim leader the other day, head of a lot of things, Islam around the world, and he said, you know, it's so interesting. I see Mormon people everywhere. Like, be a part of a generation that's going to change that. Why, why not spend the summer, semester, year or two somewhere in the world where the gospel hasn't gone? What, what else better to do with your life than this and, and see what God does. Maybe he opens doors for you to begin thinking about how you can use that degree you're getting to open doors for the spread of the gospel in orange and red. Just the beauty, like though, I was talking with a guy just this week. He's got 2,000 job positions right in the heart of the Middle East that have medical, uh, like people who are graduating with all kinds of degrees in medicine that are open for people to go and take. 
Like why not, instead of defaulting to just living it up here, why not default to maybe God's leading me to go and do medicine and work among the unreached for the spread of the gospel. Think about one nursing student, she graduates, gets a degree, starts looking for a job overseas, goes, takes one of these jobs in the Middle East. She's now head of nursing over this hospital in the Middle East. She has a Bible study every week in her office with Muslims. She's sharing the gospel. Why? Because she's so good at nursing. So sometimes people are like, well, maybe I just need a quick college and go. Like, I mean, maybe, but why not just like leverage the education you're getting for the spread of God's glory among the nations? Like to think through your life this way, your degree is for the spread of God's glory among the nations. Your life, your gifts, your skills, your relationships. Don't marry somebody whose heart doesn't beat for the spread of the gospel among the nations. You'll end up wasting your life with them on a dream that doesn't matter forever. Don't do it. Unite your life if God leads you to be married. Unite your life with somebody whose heart is zealous for the spread of the gospel among the nations and do it together. And yes, God will lead some to stay here. God will lead others to go here. But together, we will each be playing our part in seeing all the nations enjoy and exalt God. You have a significant part to play. Let me close with one picture, one picture. Remember this map? This map that shows Antioch and Corinth and Rome. If you'll notice on this map, and you can barely see it, there's a little bit of yellow around Rome, there's a little bit of yellow around Antioch, and a little bit of yellow around Jerusalem and north of Jerusalem. That little bit of yellow represents the regions that were known to contain Christians at the beginning of Paul's ministry. So in Acts chapter 13, when we started kind of walking through those journeys, that's where the Christians were in the world. Now in just a second, I want to show you a map that shows the regions known to contain Christians at the end of Paul's life. So from Acts 13 on, I just want you to see if you can tell a difference. So these are the regions known to contain Christians at the end of Paul's life. See that yellow light up? And all those places that Paul was traveling? Now, I'm not saying Paul was the only one who influenced that map, but I would say Paul had a very significant influence on that map. At the same time, you'll notice what's not yellow. Spain over here, right? So Paul made it to Rome, not the way he planned. He made it there in chains, and as far as we know, he never made it to Spain. Instead, he died in Rome. So what should we conclude? Like, Paul... You, you tried, you did your best, but you didn't do all that, more than you could have asked or imagined. Like you imagined, you wanted to get the gospel to Spain and it never happened, so you failed. And before we draw that conclusion, I wanna show you one more map that'll show you the regions known to contain Christians within two short centuries after Paul's death. And I want you to see if you can tell a difference. Again, I'm not saying Paul was the only one who influenced that map, but I am saying this. If I could look each one of you in the eye, I wish I could, like, do not underestimate for a second what God will do through your one life for the spread of his grace and his glory among all the nations. What kind of mark is your life gonna have on this map? 
What kind of mark is your life going to have on this map? The purpose of your life is to enjoy God in all of his glory and to exalt God in all of his glory among all the nations. Don't run this race. Leaving this place, even this word and all that has come before the last couple of days, don't run this race in the days, months, years ahead in your life and miss the point. Don't let the adversary distract you divert you from the purpose for which you have breath. Let me pray. Oh God, I ask, based upon your word, based upon your word, oh God, and your spirit even speaking all throughout these last couple days, and in this moment, God, I pray that from this place, students will go on the campuses making disciples. Yes, God, and your glory would spread through them. I pray, oh God, that it would not stop there. God, I pray that the gospel would keep moving through the lives in this room to more and more people and more and more places. God, I pray there'd be people in those orange and red parts of the world that hear the gospel for the first time because of lips in this room speaking it. I pray that they would not miss the purpose of their lives. They would live for what's gonna matter forever, enjoying and exalting you among all the nations. God, may it be so, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.